happy to be with you here at Bethel this morning and uh, happy to meditate with you in Philippians 4 uh, today. I've entitled this sermon, uh, Peace in the Local Church. Uh, I preached, I think, several sermons from Philippians from this letter at the chapel. Now, this is the last chapter. And uh, when I first uh, started studying this chapter, I thought it was kind of a list of miscellaneous things that Paul wrote in closing his letter. But, But now I think I see more of a theme, that of peace and unity among Christians. And I'm choosing to speak under the title, Peace in the Local Church, this morning. Now, we should define what the church is. The church is, uh, includes every person that has been born again by the Spirit of God the world over. And uh, these, uh, these born-again Christians then meet in local churches where they live out the principles of Christ's teaching in a, in a local community. And so we'll be thinking, um, especially this morning, about uh, peace and unity in the local church. Now, the message of the scriptures is much broader than that, of course. We have a level of responsibility to every believer that we encounter. But let's think this morning especially about our local church. Most, Most of you belong to a local church. It might be easier to speak uh, just in broader and more general terms, <laughs> but uh, let's uh, zero in on the local church. In the church at Philippi, there were two women that we'll read about in just a few minutes, uh, Euodius and Synthache, who had had a disagreement. They, they were at odds with each other. The, the scripture doesn't tell us what the, what their argument was about. But Apostle Paul here pleads with them to, to settle their differences and resume working together for Jesus Christ. So I believe this uh, last part of this letter in Philippians has much to say about living at peace with one another in church life. Now as I read this chapter, uh, please notice that uh, the phrase where it says, in the Lord, it's repeated several times, and also through Jesus Christ, which would almost mean the same thing, I think. Paul teaches here that we're to stand firm in the Lord, we're to rejoice in the Lord, we're to be of the same mind in the Lord, we're to have peace of heart and mind through Jesus Christ, In fact, he says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Also notice the word peace. This scripture tells us that the God of peace will be with us. And he also talks of a peace of God that is given to us through Jesus Christ. Okay, I'll I'll read Philippians 4 and I invite you to meditate as I read. 
Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eodius and I beseech Synthachi that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true young fellow, help these women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue or if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Paul is saying that, that they've just given him a gift. He thanks them. They didn't have, had, hadn't, they'd done it earlier. They hadn't had the opportunity for a while to give him a gift. Not that I was speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to be abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in, in, in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated or gave to me, assisted me, uh, as concerning giving and receiving, receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once more and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that it may abound to your account. But I have all and abound and am full, having received from Herodias the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in, saint in Jesus Christ. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly those that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Did you notice how Paul loved the people at Philippi?
he said, uh, called them his dearly beloved, his joy and crown, uh, my dearly beloved. Even loved the two women that disagreed in the church. In chapter 1, he had written, uh, God, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So he loved everyone at this church, had affection for each one of them. Now love goes a long way in a local church. Dearly beloved. In fact, love is essential among believers. Uh, Paul says of them that they were his joy and crown. You know, understand, I read about this, that in, the, in those days at the, at the athletic games, uh, the victors, victors were given a, a wreath of flowers to wear around their neck. And then when they did the, at the end of the games, when they did the winner's parade, they would, they would parade around uh, the arena with the, 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 the wreath of flowers around their neck. And Paul is saying that the people saved on under his ministry were like, those, were like a victory wreath for him. And there was nothing more important to Paul than that souls were saved and that they persevered to the end. He, he writes here in verse 1 that they stand firm, my dearly beloved, my joy and my crown. I kind of feel like Paul, I... I don't care much about mansions or stars in my crown when I think about heaven, but I care a lot about uh, that, that people make it there. And if, if I can help just one or a few or several and uh, then help them remain fruitful and faithful till the very end, that will be reward enough for me. I just... Just imagine being in heaven, and uh, there you see someone enjoying the blessedness of heaven, and you realize that you made a difference for him to be there. Uh, won't that be a great reward in heaven? Paul says these people are his joy and crown. He was concerned that they make it in, uh, that they persevere to the end. Dearly beloved, love in the local church. Then in verse 2, Paul pleads with the two women to be reconciled and resolve their disagreement. I wonder what the, I wonder what the quarrel was about. Uh, I doubt if it was uh, uh, an argument about what color the communion tablecloth should be. Were they deaconesses? Did they disagree over which widow should receive help? One was maybe more merciful than the other. Uh, we don't know what the disagreement was about, but we do know that it was damaging to the church. Um, this is a quote, a continuing antagonism between members can only weaken the church and be a stumbling block to those looking on for role models. I think that was from the Tyndale commentary on the scripture. Continuing antagonism between members of a church can only weaken the church and be a stumbling block to those looking for role models. 
So these women were disturbing the peace of the church, and Paul pleads with them uh, to be reconciled, and he asks another yoke fellow, an unnamed uh, worker for God, to help the women to be friends again and to work together again. Paul is wise not try to, to try to fix the problem from a distance. He, he asks somebody in the, in the local church to, to be a peacemaker. Well, how we need to resolve our differences. If we can no longer uh, work together, we really need to resolve our differences. We need to be of the same mind in the Lord, having a mind and a will to work together in the Lord. Those who are united, those who are in the Lord, really should be able to work together, shouldn't they? Now we have different gifts and callings and different backgrounds and experiences that leave us with different points of view on view uh, views on issues, and um, sometimes we our disagreements stem from that. Other other times it may be just the old nature within us who would like to have its own way and would like to promote self-interest. And then there's a need to, to repent of uh, our selfishness. Sometimes we need to give up, give up personal preferences for the church's good. There needs to be give and take. If one party or one person always has their way when there's a difference, then there's, uh, there's quite a problem. Let, let me use marriage, for example. If, uh, if you or I has to have our own way in every disagreement and then our, our spouses always have to yield, then we have a problem that we need the Lord to fix. In the church, we must be willing to resolve our disagreements and we sometimes need yoke fellows to help us uh, resolve our differences. So that there's harmony, harmony. So people are working together, enjoying each other, com- com- each other's company, and so that young people will not be discouraged, and so that the world looking on will say, "My, how those people love each other, and how well they work together in that church." Now, verse four says that we should command to rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Uh, should, I, should our church be full of rejoicing people? What kind of a church would that be if everyone is rejoicing? Now the Philippians lived in difficult times. They were suffering persecution, persecutions and hardships, but they are charged to rejoice. So in the, middle, in the middle of this persecution, antagonism they were facing and the fears, this hostile environment, this is like a clarion call to them to rejoice. Really, really it's a call to faith, to be, believe in God even though times were difficult. Other apostles said it these ways. James said, wrote, uh, consider it pure joy when you face trials. Apostle Peter Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ and 
And Habakkuk, the prophet in the Old Testament, gave it, said it like this, Though the fig tree doesn't bud, though, the, and though there are no grapes on the vine, and though the olive crop fails, and the, though, the, though the fields uh, produce no food, though there is no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. What a testimony of faith, uh, that prophet. Felt like we would say, though I've lost my job and the bills are piling up, have no ability to pay, I wrecked the car, no means to transportation to even try to find a job, yet will I rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God my Savior. Rejoicing. Do we say we cannot rejoice? It says here, rejoice in the Lord. We can rejoice in that there's always much to rejoice about in the Lord. We can rejoice in who Jesus is, what he has done and what he does. We can rejoice. We just finished. No, we're not finished. We still should be rejoicing about his incarnation, that he became a human being. Rejoice, rejoice in his holy exemplary life. Rejoice in his sufferings for us. Rejoice in his awful but precious death. We can rejoice in the resurrection and the power that gives us to live a Christian life and the hope of heaven it gives us. Rejoice that he ascended to heaven and sent us his spirit to comfort us and guide us. Rejoice that he's preparing a place for us. Rejoice in his great courage, his gentleness, his compassion, his glory, his majesty, his graciousness, his abiding presence. Nothing to rejoice about. <laughs> Nothing to rejoice about in the Lord. Uh, let's rejoice in the Lord. Even when life is difficult. Then verse 5 uh, tells us, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. I found that the word we would more likely use these days is the word graciousness or gentleness also. Let your moderation be known unto all men. That means we're not to be quarrelsome. It does say to, to share to show this, give this to all men. We're to be fair-minded, ready to forgive, charitable towards others in their faults, merciful to them when they fail us, giving them grace, being winsome, giving them what they don't deserve. What would our church be like if we were all very gracious to every other person? Let your graciousness be known to all men. Verse 6, be careful for nothing. Don't be, overly, don't be overly anxious about anything, but pray about everything. Don't, don't fret. The cares you feel, burdens you fear, pray about them, and then leave them with the Lord. Don't fret. Don't live in distraction by the things that burden you or you neglect those around you or because of anxiety, being in ill humor, humor, so you mistreat others around you. 
rather pray, bring concerns and burdens, cares to the Lord in prayer and leave them there. Don't be anxious, but pray. Pray about everything, fears, distresses, burdens. Bring them all to the Lord in prayer. Leave them there with him to sort out and to fix. Casting all your cares on him, for he careth for you. And as we pray, don't forget to be thankful, remembering God's goodness and his deliverances in the past. Just imagine how how, uh, this would affect our peace and our church if each each of us were very prayerful and we would take our burdens to God and uh, have peace, the peace of God in our hearts where we'd not be agitated by anxiety. Casting all our cares on him by prayer. And then not worry about them anymore. For he cares for each of us and for all our concerns. Now we come to the key verses here, I think, in this chapter. Maybe you're asking yourself, asking God, how can I overcome anxiety? How 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 could I be gracious to every every person? How could I rejoice always? How could I really have this peace? Well, verses 7 and 9 say, The peace of God which passes all understanding will keep or will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, of good report, virtuous, praiseworthy. Think on these things, and then the verse following, verse 9, not only think on them, uh, but do them. Practice them in your life by your words and actions, and the God of peace will be with you. God of peace will be there to assist us in these things. What is this peace that guards our hearts and minds? How can we experience it? I believe these verses are really really talking about the new birth. The peace of God, this is a quote from, I think, the uh, Tyndale commentary. The peace of God is, no, this is actually from NIV study notes. The peace of God is an inner tranquility based on peace with God. Peace of God, the peace of God, which we experience in our hearts, is an inner inner tranquility that's based on our peace with God. Sins forgiven, guilt removed, security, a child of God, um, adopted into God's family. The peace of God, which is a result, the peace of God, which is a result of having peace with God. How can this happen for us? How can we experience this peace? Peace is when we repent of our sins and reach out to Jesus Christ in faith for salvation. Forgiveness of sin. The Holy Spirit comes in to to change the very core of our being and give us peace. 
Verse 9 says, The God of peace will be with us. I believe the God, God of peace gives us peace with God, and that results in us having the peace of God in our hearts and minds. Then, then our hearts and minds are at rest, and uh, we're able then to give graciousness to other people because our heart is at rest and at peace. I thought of a picture that could illustrate this, and I'll give it a try. I'm not, I warn you, I'm not an artist. <laughs> but uh, I have a bit of an illustration here that I'm going to put on the board.
So really that uh, this is about salvation, experiencing peace with God, and the peace, having the peace of God in our hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. And then after, after we're saved and experience peace, the peace of God, there's a need for our minds to be re- renewed, uh, need for us to think well. I wish I could be here for Greg's topic tonight. The mind is a great, is a mystery in many ways. But these verses say that the Prince of Peace wants to renew our minds and he wants us to think thoughts true, honest, just, pure, holy, lovely, of good report, praiseworthy. Now, if you're like me, your, th- your, your th- thoughts are not always this holy. I struggle, uh, struggle with uh, my thoughts, to main, uh, struggle to maintain peace in my thoughts. I read this quote somewhere, thoughts, thoughts run in well-worn channels, uh, worn by the oft-repeated thoughts. I've noticed that we... We develop, I develop patterns of thinking that are not, not easily changed. And uh, I'll just share one of them. I've, uh, one, my thoughts, uh, this has been a problem for years. I, I, I know that I've, the Lord has helped me grow some in this at least, but uh, my thoughts can go kind of a mix of pride and self-pity. And... Uh, and if I let them go, I can, I can go through a, almost a whirlpool of, of those kind of thoughts. Some years ago, I went, in, went into a depression because of, of uh, my thoughts got out of control. What, what are channels that your thoughts flow in <laughs> that are not good and not healthy? Well, the God of peace wants to break up those worn patterns of thinking here would be another, another illustration. I live on a farm. I work on a farm, and we some of our driveways don't, don't have gravel on them, so we don't really travel them when it's muddy. But if we do, and if you if you drive in the same track, you're gonna you're gonna wear ruts, and you're gonna have mud puddles. Well, that's a little bit way our minds work. That uh, if we go in the same negative track or wrong track, we're we're gonna develop ruts. Well, the God of peace wants to break up those worn patterns of thinking and help, wants to help us uh, think good thoughts. So the mind must be disciplined uh, if we're going to be able to be really kind and gracious to other people and to be a peacemaker. I've found in my life that prayer is a real key. If, uh, if, if the peace of God, which rules in my heart, says, no, Sonny, don't go there, <laughs> that's, that's wrong thinking, then I, need to, I find I need to pray. Some, some, it's gone far enough, I need to pray a prayer of repentance. Lord, it's wrong for me to think this, Lord, I'm sorry. And then to, um, to pray these things, things pure, lovely, good report. Pray myself. God, God is God is always present with us. Sometimes I need to pray myself into His presence, and uh, 
allow him to change my the way I'm thinking. Live in communion with him. So the God of peace, Holy Spirit living within, will say, stop. Don't, don't go there. And we must respond with, yes, Lord. Help me keep my channel my thoughts in a better in a right direction. Verse 9 teaches us that good thoughts develop good character and then must be lived out in with good words. Paul, Paul wrote, These things that you have both learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, do, do them. And the God of peace will, shall be with you to assist you to live out these things. These things may be referring to verse 8. The just things, pure things, lovely, good report, virtuous, praiseworthy things. Think on these things and, and do them. Live them out then in words and actions to other, with other people. Now I'm going to close with uh, the, the, the teaching about contentment in these last verses in this chapter. Uh, it's also about generosity. The Philippian Christians had sent Paul gifts earlier. It had been a while. He says, you, you didn't really have an opportunity, but now you've given me another gift, and he appreciated it so much. He goes on to say that uh, they sent money to him when he was in Macedonia. They sent at least twice to him in Thessalonica, and he appreciates their generosity. And he was very grateful for their gift because it expressed their love and support for him. And it also showed that they were bearing spiritual fruit. And he was also very happy that God was pleased. It was like a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. But Paul goes on to say, explains that while he's, he's grateful for the gifts, he's really not dependent on them. He says, I've learned... Uh, to be content no matter what. I learned to trust God's goodness and his providence. He learned to be content in whatever situation he was in, whether he had need or he had abundance, whether he was well-fed or whether he was hungry, whether he was in want or had plenty. In all these things, he learned contentment. That's verse 12. He was instructed. He was learning. We, we can learn too. We can learn too. Paul learned to be content. In all these situations, his mind and heart was at rest and he was at peace. He wasn't overly distressed or anxious. He was just trusting God to take care of him. In fact, he says, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. I can live through hunger. I can live through abundance, I can live when I'm abased and when I'm abounding. It doesn't matter. I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. What a testimony. What a promise to us, too, that God will strengthen us. And this, is, this, this everything is especially talking about uh, through difficult times. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So let's not think and say, I can't do this. I just can't take this. <laughs> That's just not fair. We have another promise here in verse 19. My God will meet all your needs 
according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. How rich is Jesus Christ? Owns the cattle on a thousand hills, owns the whole world. And uh, of course, a superabundance of spiritual blessings too. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And so interesting, the, the Philippians gave out of their poverty. And, and uh, Paul writes to them, God is going to give you out of his abundant riches in Jesus Christ. So they, they, they were well supplied. Well, let's see. What did we learn from this scripture? How we can have peace in the local church. Well, we can love each other. Dearly beloved. Joy and crown. Helping each other to be fruitful and persevere and make it to heaven. We can, re we can rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Even when things are difficult. We can always rejoice in the Lord. Usually we can think of a, quite a list of blessings. That runs out and we can just rejoice for a long time in who the Lord is. And we're to be gracious to one another, gentle, extending a graciousness, giving each other what we don't even deserve. And we're not to be anxious, we're, just, we're not to be burdened about anything. Just but pray about everything and leave the burdens with the Lord. The God of peace uh, gives us peace with him, sins forgiven, uh, hope of heaven, no fear of death, guilt removed, adopted into God's family. Just, uh, that gives us the peace of God in our hearts and we can then out of this heart that it's rest and at peace with God, we offer peace, graciousness to our brothers and sisters. Another thing we can learn from the scripture is that we, could, we can be peacemakers, help others who are, have had disagreement. We can be, we should, God helping us to be, we should be generous, showing our love, love and practical gifts to each other. And also, uh, contentment. Whatever situation we're in, hungry or having plenty, abased or abounding, to be content, knowing that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Let's, let's pray. You can, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.